Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Today, if you're visiting with us, we are in a series called Rediscover Jesus. Uh, And as I said, we want to engage with Jesus in these kind of large Costco-sized quantities. And we are actually in week 10 of the series. Uh, This morning's message is entitled Jesus, the Light of the World. And I'm going to be using an outline from Stephen Cole. Uh, So, so far, if you've been here for most of the series... You have seen that Jesus is used in many types of metaphors. He's called the bronze serpent. He's called living water. He's called the lamb of God, the bread of life. Well, in today's text, Jesus will refer to himself as the light of the world. Before we get into the text itself... Let me tell you what I find interesting. Uh, What I find interesting is that what prompts Jesus to say those words, I'm the light of the world, is the healing of a man who had been born blind, a man who had never known light, a man that can now see because of Jesus. And, And what I would like to remind you before we read the text itself is that spiritually speaking, you were born blind. Spiritually speaking, I was blind from birth. We were all born blinded by a world that's ruled by flesh. And it wasn't until Jesus actually restored our sight that we could actually see. And so with that in mind, Uh, We'll be in John chapter 9 today as we continue to preach through the book of John. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 9 is where we'll pick up in verse 1. As he, this is Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, Rabbi just means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. So so real quickly, a lot of people believed that if you had some type of physical handicap or some type of physical ailment, whether it be a deformed arm or or being blind or being deaf, it was a result of your parents' sin or, or it was a result of some sin you had in your life. It was a very prominent view back then. So they ask him, well, who's responsible? Why is this man blind? Did he do something wrong or did his parents do something wrong? Look at verse 3. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed through him. Now, this message is not on suffering, but this is a great passage uh, to, to resort to when you struggle with the issue of suffering. So they're essentially saying, why is this man suffering, Jesus? Did he sin? Did his parents sin? And, and Jesus says, no, nobody sinned. Uh, this, is, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus is essentially saying, everybody suffers. We all go through periods of suffering, but we suffer in different ways because of the curse that sin has brought into our lives and and into the world. However, 
suffering can be an opportunity to display the glory of God, right? So I would say it this way. People who suffer well are, are, an, are a testimony to the living God. You say it, it's easy to testify that God is good when things are going good for you, but when you get diagnosed with cancer or when you lose a loved one and you're in this period of suffering, uh, if you can resort to your faith in God, it's a huge testimony for the world to see. All right, I'm done with that rabbit trail. Let's continue. Verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, this is Jesus talking, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? They're basically saying, wait a minute, I recognize this guy. That's the guy, that's the blind guy that's always, you know, asking for money. He's in the same spot every day. That's him. And some said, it is he. Others said, no, but it's like him. In other words, no, it's just a lookalike. Well, he, the guy is there. And he kept saying, hey, I am the man. Yes, it's, it's me. Verse 10. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. I once heard a comedian uh, tell about how one time he was staying in the same hotel as the famous blind singer Ray Charles. And he said, you know, I decided I was going to stop by Ray's room and pay him a visit. So he knocked on the door and, and he heard Ray yell, come on in. And the comedian said he walked in the door and he could hear that Ray was shaving with an electric razor, but, but he couldn't see because it was the, the room, every light was off. It was pitch dark. And without thinking, he blurted out, hey, Ray, why in the world are you shaving in the dark? He said, then it hit him. Oh, what a dumb thing to say. But Ray being good-natured, he said, brother, I do everything in the dark. When, when I heard this story years ago, it, it immediately stuck with me because I'm often like the comedian on that occasion. I forget that unbelievers in this world are spiritually blind. And they live every day of their life in a dark world. And so I often relate to them as if though they can see, when in fact, they cannot see. And so as I said, the passage we just read is a great metaphor. Now, did the physical healing take place of the blind man? Absolutely. I believe that was real. But behind the healing is a metaphor that's very spiritual. The world is a dark place full of spiritually blind people who need light to see. 
And Jesus is that light. If you've been with us through the duration of the series, you know John writes about light more than any other writer in the Bible. He's constantly talking about light. And he's constantly pulling that light back to Jesus. We opened up the series 10 weeks ago in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, when when John writes this about Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All right, and so what John is saying, it doesn't matter what the world throws at Jesus, darkness will never win. Jesus will always win. It has never had a chance to win. Darkness has not overcome it. And I would just encourage you in times of doubt and fear and all that's going on in the world around you to replace that little word has with the word will. The light shines in the darkness and darkness will never overcome Jesus. In chapter 3, John writes this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, but people love the darkness. They love their sin rather than the light because their works were evil. Back in John chapter 8, where we were last week, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Just like the passage we read, he says the very same thing. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So in John chapter 9, where we are, as Jesus and the disciples encounter this man who had been born blind, he proclaims, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And then the literal light of the world proceeds to give sight to a man who lived in darkness his whole life. I've often wondered what it would be like to be blind. Um, I, I, when I was a kid, I was a, a, a real big fan of the television show Little House on the Prairie. And, and I'll never forget when a, uh, Mary had an accident and she was blind. And I, and I began to wonder, like, what would it be like to be blind? And so I would do these little experiments. I would close my eyes and I would try to get from our kitchen to my bedroom without running into anything or knocking anything down. Um, I would take a blindfold and, and, and put on my eyes and I would try to pour a glass of milk to see if I could get it. One time I even got dressed in the pitch dark to see if my clothes were uh, right side in and, and if they fit and if, if they matched. And, and so I've always tried to simulate what would it be like to lose your sight. As an adult, I still think that. Uh, I want to go to one of those restaurants where they have you eat in total darkness uh, just to kind of get a feel for how that is. So for you and I who can see, there are ways, uh, small ways, to kind of simulate what it would be like to be blind. But think about the man in the text who's never been able to see anything. There was no way for him to simulate what it would be like to see. He's never seen anything. Can you imagine? He was born blind, which means he he went from the state of not knowing what the color green is, not being able to look up and see a blue sky, not really understanding what the color red is, never being able to see the face of his parents or any loved ones, never being able to look in someone's eyes and have them look back uh, into your eyes with love and compassion. He, he went from that, from total darkness, to all of a sudden being able to see for the first time in his life. 
The only thing he'd ever known is darkness. It had to be the greatest feeling in the world. In fact, I believe there's a lot of greatness going on in the passage we just read. And with that in mind, I want you to see three things here. The great need, the great Savior, and the great urgency. Let's chat about those three things. First, we'll talk about the great need. We find it in verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Here's what I want you to notice. This whole passage is about light, but the passage begins with total darkness. This man had been blind since birth, never seen the light. Uh, Your story may have started in total darkness. I know mine certainly did, because this is a picture of us. We were born into this dark world of sin, and we've been spiritually blind since our birth. So this man lacked the ability to see Jesus physically. Can you imagine? Here he is, and and the one who holds all things together, the Lord, the creator, the sustainer, the son of God, the most powerful being, God in flesh, is standing right in front of him. There is Jesus right there, and he can't see him. He has no idea who this man is. On a spiritual level, in this world, that's exactly what's going on around us. Jesus is real. God is here. And people cannot see him because they're blind. The Apostle Paul goes into great detail on this subject. I want to just read you a a, a little snippet of, of a letter he writes to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians, when he talks about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Stop right there. Paul says, listen, there's a veil over this gospel. That's why when I get up and preach, some people can say, amen, praise the Lord. Yes, I can see Jesus. And other people can say, oh, that's hogwash. I'm, let me out of here. I'm going to go back to, to the lake. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to waste my time on this. Some people can see and some people cannot see. Now, the next verse, verse 4, he's talking about those who are blind, who can't see. And here's why they're blind. In their case, the God, now notice little g here, of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in the hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. All right, so notice when he says the God of this age, it's a little g. He's talking about the devil here. And so this passage is very, very simple. Essentially what it's saying is there there is a whole world of people that cannot see. And the reason they cannot see is because they have been blinded by their sin. They've been blinded by the devil himself. Right? I want you to think about that. It's never God that causes us not to see. That would be ridiculous because he is light. He is healing. He is sight. 
but it's the devil. And the devil is clever. He can blind a person even though they can still see. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Let me say that again. He can blind a person even though they can still see. Many years ago, I don't, I don't know how long ago, uh, there were these paintings that became pretty popular, um, and you would have to stare at them. You remember these? And if you stared at them at the right way, at the right angle, if you looked at them long enough, you could see words that would pop out from the image, or you could see another image. Um, I I was never, ever good at these things. If I try to look at that very long, I'm going to walk out of here with a migraine. In fact, I was telling the 9 o'clock service, I hope there's nothing inappropriate on that. I don't know what it says, because it's the first image on Google. Um, But I could never see those things. Now, some of you can look at these and see what I don't see. We can be looking at the same thing, but you can see the depth and the beauty that I can't see. This is what this passage is saying, that the devil can blind us from seeing while still letting us see. But the only thing he lets us see is the flesh. That's it. But Jesus... The light of the world allows us to see beyond the flesh, allows us to see the picture within the picture. And so when you think about Jesus, this is why he even said, this is why I speak in parables, because only some of you are going to understand what I'm saying. This is why Jesus always uses metaphors. This is why Jesus over and over and over again in the Gospels would use this phrase, he who has eyes, let him see. Let him see the picture within the picture. Let him see with his spiritual eyes, not just his or her physical eyes. But we know many people don't see. Why? Because their minds have been blinded. And so there is a great need for sight. Well, the great need prompts the second point I want to make, a great Savior. Jesus is the almighty Savior who can open up our blind eyes. Jesus reached out to this helpless man and granted him the gift of sight. Now, think about how this man must have felt. It had to be a weird day for him. Okay, so he began the day as he began probably every day of his adult life in a dark existence. He would somehow make his way to the busiest part of town. He would lay... He would sit down and he would lay his blanket across his lap and when when he would hear people walk by, he would ask them, can you help a a brother out? Can you help a blind guy out? You got got some spare change. And, And that's what he did every day of his life. That's how his day started, but it ended with him seeing for the first time in his life. But what I want you to notice is how Jesus heals him here because this is not in the MO of Jesus. He doesn't normally heal this way. Remember verse 6 and 7? Having said these things, he spit on the ground. Like, that's weird. Here's Jesus spitting on the ground. And then he bends down and he makes mud with the saliva. He anoints the man's eyes with mud. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, uh, which is sent. This is, to me, a picture of baptism. So he went and he washed And he came back seeing. Now, if you study the life of Jesus and you study how he heals people, he normally speaks that healing into existence. 
Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about the man at the pool of Bethsaida. He couldn't walk. Jesus didn't do anything miraculous. He just said, hey, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Remember Lazarus, who was in the tomb for three days, and he was going to raise him from the dead. And, and Jesus' sister said, well, Lord, by now he stinketh. Like, you, you can't raise him from the dead. And all Jesus said was, Lazarus, wake up. Come on out. So he would speak healing into existence. But in this case, he doesn't. He spits on the ground, all right? He makes little mud pies. He rubs it on the guy's eyes, and he says, now go wash off in, in, in the pool. So why didn't Jesus speak his healing into existence? Why did he do it differently? Well, scholars don't know. If you know me, you know I have an opinion on everything. So allow me to offer you my opinion to why Jesus healed the man this way. If you remember back in the book of Genesis, uh, uh, go back to the creation of Adam, to the creation of man, way back in Genesis chapter 2. What did God use to create man? Dirt. Yeah, he used dirt. Kind of reminds me of a story I heard of these three scientists who got really smart, and they, just, they figured out they could create man, uh, and they didn't need God. They could create man themselves. And so they went to God and said, listen, we don't need you anymore. Uh, you can go ahead and just leave this earth permanently because we know how to create a man ourselves." And God said, oh, is that right? He said, well, why don't we have a little contest? You create a man, I'll create a man, and we'll see which one is better. And they were excited about that because they were going to show God up. And God said, I'll even let you go first. And so one of the scientists bent down and grabbed a handful of dirt, and God said, no, 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 no. You get your own dirt. I created the dirt. You've got to create him out of nothing. God created man out of dirt. Look at Genesis 2-7. And the Lord formed the man of dust or dirt, some translations say, from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. So in the Genesis account, God created Adam out of dust from the ground. Now I want to ask you a question. What is mud? Wet dirt, right? You can have a pile of dirt and then you get some rain and it becomes a pile of mud pretty quickly, right? Mud is just wet dirt. Rain can make dirt mud. Spit can make dirt mud. And I think there's some underlying beauty here. God used dirt to create man, and Jesus is going to use dirt to recreate this man. You see, in order for us to have spiritual sight, we must first admit that we need a Savior. We, we must first admit that we need to be a new creation. We, we have to humble ourselves and say, I need to be recreated by Jesus Christ. We have to experience the second birth, being born again. And this can only happen because and through Jesus Christ. He is the one that lights our path to salvation. You see, we had this great need. We couldn't see. And he came to open up our eyes and illuminate our path to God. Last fall, we did an entire series on light. And you may remember that series. One of the things that we pointed out about two or three times is that in the ocean, 
There are a lot of these bioluminescent creatures. They can glow. We talked about jellyfish and certain types of squid, but we also talked about algae and plankton that can grow. In fact, I showed you some pictures. There are boats at night, if they go through uh, th this area where there's a lot of this bioluminescent algae or plankton out in the middle of the ocean, their wake actually creates light. This week, this week, I was reading a fascinating story about the Apollo astronaut Jim Lovell. Uh, he told about one of the most frightening times in his life. It was before he was an astronaut. Um, <clears throat> he was in the military, and, and he was a fighter pilot. He said he was returning from a combat mission and at night, and he was trying to find the aircraft carrier. Well, they were in a combat, the combat conditions, and so the carrier had to turn all its lights off so the enemy couldn't see. And it was, uh, his, it was also combat conditions that caused them to go radio silent. So he couldn't see the ship. He couldn't communicate with anyone. And, and so he didn't know what he was going to do. He didn't have enough gas to go anywhere. Uh, he was going to, like, crash in the ocean. He said, then he looked down in the darkness, and there was an eerie glow in the water. And he knew exactly what it was. It was that plankton where that aircraft carrier, the wake of that aircraft carrier was causing, causing this plankton. He said it, it lit up like a runway. And he was able to use that to get to the aircraft carrier and to um, land his play, plan, plane safely. He, here's what he said about the event. He said, I don't believe it was an accident at all. God calls that electrical short just at the right time for me to see the light that saved me. Jim never would have made it back to the ship without that God-given light. And you and I will never make it to heaven without Jesus, the light of the world. He is the light of eternal salvation for all of us who trust him. So we have the great need. We have the great Savior. And then finally, I want you to see the great urgency here. I want to direct your attention to verse 4. Here's what Jesus says. We must work the works of him who sent me while it, it, it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Let's wordsmith this just a little bit. I want you to notice that Jesus says we, not I. Jesus didn't say I must work the works. It's, he says we must work the works of him. And so in this conversation, Jesus includes the disciples among those who must do God's works. And that also includes us, his disciples who have put our trust in him. But I want you to also notice the word must there. This is not a suggestion. It's an imperative command. This is something that has to happen. That word must is the same word we talked about in the Greek a few weeks ago when it said that Jesus had to go through Samaria. It was a divine appointment for him to meet the woman at the well. And Jesus says, listen, it's a divine appointment. You must work the works of him. We must do the works of God. We must let our light shine. We can't wait for someone else to do it. We must be involved and we must do it with urgency. Why? Because night is coming. Time is short. We only have a finite amount of time to make an eternal difference in our loved ones' lives. 
Note the urgency here. Jesus says, night is coming when no one can work. Do you know what that means? you know what he's referring to when he says night is coming? Death. And in this passage specifically, he's referring to his own death. He says, listen, my death is coming. I'm going to be betrayed at the hands of sinners. Night's coming for me. But night is also coming for all of us. It was James, the brother of Jesus, that said that your life, my life, is like a vapor. It's like a mist. It's here for a moment, and then it's gone. It's the Apostle Paul who wrote to the Ephesians that said, hey, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And that phrase, making the most of every opportunity, you know what it literally means in the Greek? Buying up the opportunities. Wherever you have an opportunity to be light, to show light, to share light, take that opportunity. Make that purchase. Take that chance. Because I'm going to be honest with you. As a church, we're not doing a very good job. There's not a person in here who doesn't have loved ones who are far away from God. And we just, we have no urgency at all. One day, maybe someone, it's not going to be me, will, will be light to those people. Jesus instructed us to be that light. And there's got to be some urgency here. I want you to ask yourself a question this week, kind of just let it bounce around. And that question is simply this. How are you taking advantage of the opportunities the Lord gives you to point the people you love to to Jesus? How, how are we doing that? And are we doing it with urgency because not only is night or death coming for us it's also coming for them and we're not promised tomorrow look at verse 5 it's very interesting here Jesus says this as long as I'm in the world I am the light of the world notice that phrase as long as I am in the world now, I want to ask you a question. Where's Jesus now? Yeah, he's not here. Jesus isn't in the world, right? Remember, right before he died, he said, hey, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send somebody better than me, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and, and, and he's going to be far better to you than me. I am not going to be here. I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. So he's not in the world. So that begs the question, well, if he's the light of the world and he's no longer in the world, he's in, the, in heaven with the Father, how is light to be brought to the world? <laughs> Through us. You and me. All of us who love and worship Jesus, we are now the light of the world. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 5, very familiar passage of Scripture, verses 14 and 15. Look what Jesus says. You are now the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand. And it gives light to all <clears throat> in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. How much urgency do you have in being light to people around you? 
You see, we have a great need. We were blind. The world has a great need. They're still blind. We had a great Savior, Jesus, the Lord of light. The world needs to be introduced to Jesus so they can see. But we have to have some urgency because others need to see the light of Jesus. Robert uh, Louis Stevenson was a, was a great author. Uh, the, the two books that you're probably most familiar with that he wrote were Treasure Island and The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde. Just a brilliant, brilliant writer. He tells the story of one time sitting up in his room. He was 12 years old, and he was watching a man light the street lanterns. They did that every night. They had to go out and physically light these street lanterns. And so he was just watching him intently, and his mother came up to his room, and, and she said, well, Robert, what are you doing? And he replied, I'm watching a man cut holes in the darkness. That's our task in this dark world, to cut holes in the darkness, to point blind people to the light of the world who can open their eyes for God's glory, to tell them what Jesus has done for you. He can use you to do his work before the night comes. So real quick, this story goes through the duration of chapter 9. It doesn't end where we ended. So let me just kind of tell you what happens in the rest of chapter 9. So this man is healed and everyone's like, that's the guy? Yeah, that's the guy. And so the Pharisees who hated Jesus got wind of this. Okay, And their response was not, Praise the Lord. Uh, we, we are so happy for this guy. Uh, a guy who's never been able to see. Now he can see and maybe he can have a family and he can get a job and he doesn't have to beg. This is a wonderful thing. You know what the Pharisees said? They said, Jesus, what day is it? Oh, it's the Sabbath. Well, you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. You're a sinner. You're wrong. You're of the devil for healing this man on the Sabbath. Okay, and then they go to the man's parents, and they start talking to, to his parents, and they threaten his parents and saying, we'll, we'll kick you out of church. We'll kick you out of the synagogue. For some of you, that, that would be no big deal if we kicked you out of Elevate, but in that, in that culture, that was everything. And they said, listen, he's a grown man. We weren't there. You need to ask him. And so they, they go back to him, and they say, so who healed you? And in the text, he said, I've told you this like time and time again. I told you who healed me. This man named Jesus. And they said to him, hmm, well, how does it feel to be healed by a man who's a sinner? Because he healed you on the Sabbath day. Scripture tells us that there was no sin in Jesus. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so they say, you were healed, but you were healed by this man who's a sinner. And the only thing I want you to notice as we conclude is this. Look at his response way back in verse 25 of chapter 9. This is the blind man's response. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And here's one thing I know. Kevin Barton, me, myself, I was at one point blind, but now I see. And I can see only because of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Can you? Jesus, the great light of the world.
We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.